you have your Bibles with you, would you open them with me once again to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. If you're visiting with us this morning, we've been working our way through this first century epistle of the Apostle Paul. It's a study that we began way back in the month of January, and we are finally in the home stretch. We're in the home stretch, and Paul is seemingly beginning to wrap up his letter. And as he does so, he sounds a little bit like I do sometimes when I'm sending my my son off to work. He sounds like a concerned parent. Be careful. It's, It's wet tonight. Do you have your driver's license? Don't rush. Give yourself extra time to stop. Are you ready for class tomorrow? Just these these shots of encouragement. It may sound to us, as I'm going to read this passage in just a moment, it may sound to us a little bit like that's what Paul's doing as he closes this letter. But I want to argue to you this morning that this is not a series of rapid-fire, scattershot admonitions, but they're all connected to the theme that Paul has been talking about, at least in the last couple weeks, this theme of peace. And it's all under the umbrella of what it means to be a heavenly citizen, right? Our heavenly citizenship through the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us a different perspective than the world around us. Indeed, it transforms us fully into different kind of people. So as we looked at last week, we looked at peace within our relationships, in the body of Christ, and how we cultivate that. Proclaiming to the world out there, a world full of conflict and strife, how do we proclaim to them in the way that we love and deal with one another the love and the unity of the Trinity? Well, this week, as we continue in this theme of peace, you can see that the title of the sermon is People of Peace, Part 2. This week we turn inward to peace within ourselves. But just like last week, before I even read the passage this morning, I want to remind us that this kind of peace is built on the foundation of the gospel, on the assumed reality that you and I, that we can have peace within ourselves, that we can have peace with one another because we have peace with God, because we have peace with our Creator. Remember, Paul writes, this letter is written to the church, to those who confess the name of Christ. However, that doesn't mean that if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you don't love Jesus, that there's nothing for you here or that these words aren't for you. They actually are for you. They are for you in the sense that they call you to cling to the one who knew no sin but was made sin for you that you might be the righteousness of God. As you cling to the one who allowed himself to experience the violence of the cross and his father turning his back on his son so that you and I might enjoy peace. And so I call you to the gospel for the first time or for the thousandth time. But what Paul speaks of today in this passage is big. And when I say it's big, I mean 
It's important. It's something that we all struggle with. Some of you might remember, those of you who've been around a little bit, that back in the fall of 2020, we did a little series called Matters of the Heart. And we explored in that series this topic through the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, where Jesus says, don't worry about your life. I'm going to be referring to that passage a couple different times. And we did that in 2020, in the fall of 2020, because 2020 was a ripe time. (laughs) Racial violence and the pandemic were raging. At the time I preached the sermon, I think we had wildfires that were on the move that we were concerned about, smoke in the air, but thankfully 2020 is gone and everything is good now, right? No, life continues to be one of turbulence, right? The virus lingers. We've got a new one now to think about. Inflation rises, shootings and violence plague our nation, and a distant war weighs down our hearts. In turbulence, we need stability, right? That's why Paul began this section with the words to the church, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. See, the Philippians had their own form of turbulence, as do we. But my privilege, my job this morning is to proclaim to you this, that we have a rock, that we have an anchor, that we have a shelter amidst all of the pounding waves of life. Those are all pictures that the Scriptures give us of the one that we are after today through His Word. So let's listen. Giving our attention to God's Word once again. It's our tradition here at Ascension out of honor for God's Word for you to stand as I read it. If you are able, please do that. Philippians chapter 4, picking up where we left off last week. A little bit of overlap. Philippians chapter 4, the latter half of verse 5. Listen as I read. We're reading down through verse 9. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, since the time that I opened that previous sermon on Jesus' words in Matthew 6, to not worry, in the fall of 2020... Since the time when I opened that sermon about a rapid increase in dental fractures, remember this? Rapid increase in dental fractures because of people grinding and clenching their teeth. Between that time and now, I have joined the ranks 
of those who unconsciously grind their teeth in the evening. Yes, I have a night guard now that my dentist tells me I have to wear. It protects my teeth, apparently, from harm. It protects my jaw from aching. But it does nothing for my heart. Whatever anxiety is happening deep in my subconscious, in my sleep, needs something more than just a mouth guard. Peace. Peace is what we need. Peace is what we're after. Verse 7, the kind of peace that, that guards hearts and minds, not teeth and jaws. The kind of peace that we're not going to find in a, in a psychology textbook, but the kind that surpasses all understanding. The kind of peace that is supernatural. The kind of peace that the world says, I just don't get. I just don't get that. One author wrote about this notion of peace. He said, detached from its New Testament context, the word peace is it's sort of a spiritual marshmallow, full of softness and sweetness, but without much substance. Well, that's not the kind of peace that we're after. We're not after just a feeling that, that comes and goes. We need substance. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to proclaim to you through God's Word that that's what Jesus gives. Indeed, that's what Jesus promised. You see, peace is not merely a feeling. Peace is not the absence of all trouble. Peace is rest in the midst of the trouble. Let me read to you some of the words of our Savior. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. But Jesus, that's how, how can we not be troubled? John 16, 33. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so what I want you to hear this morning from your Savior, the Lord Jesus, is what He said over and over again in John chapter 20, in verse 19, in verse 21 and 26. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. So how do we get there? How do we get there? The Apostle says, do not be anxious. Everybody good? No, the struggle for peace within ourselves is just that. It's, it's, it's a struggle. It's a battle. It, it's a marathon. It's a fight. And not only that, but it's incredibly complex, right? You and I are not just thinking beings. We're physical beings. We're flesh and bone. We're spiritual and physical and so our individual stories are littered with pain and brokenness and in some cases trauma. And our bodies respond in different ways to events and, and stimuli that oftentimes we don't even expect. 
And so hear me, brothers and sisters, I don't stand before you this morning with quick fixes or easy formulas for peace. But as a fellow struggler, I come to give you pathways, divine pathways from God's word for you and I to battle against the distractions and frailty of our own hearts as well as the brokenness of the world around us. That's what God's word offers this morning. So two truths for us briefly to walk through as we think about these familiar verses. The first one is this. It's an encouragement. Fight for peace through practicing the presence of God. Fight for peace through practicing the presence of God. The fight for peace begins, as I heard one pastor say, through applying big truths to little places. Chris talked about this some this morning in our discipleship hour. It's what we've been trying to do. And there's no bigger truth for us to think about than God Himself than fixing our eyes on Jesus. When we study Jesus' words in Matthew 6, remember I, I drew your attention to the familial language that Jesus used. As if He said to His people, you're not an orphan. You're children, yes, but you're children of the King. You're not alone. Therefore, as you seek first His kingdom... As you seek first the King, everything you need will be provided for you. And then we come to this passage and we, we read that the Lord is at hand. We talked a little bit about that phrase last week. It's a phrase that can be taken either temporally or spatially. But when you add it to verse 9 where it says the God of peace will be with you, I think we should receive it as spatially. It may apply in both ways, but I think spatially is how we need to think about it, meaning He is with us. Always caring, always available, always sufficient for our needs. And of course, this dovetails with what Paul says here directly. What does Paul do? He says, pray. Do not be anxious about anything but pray. And that's what I mean when I say practice the presence of God. Prayer is not merely a tool for peace. It's a vehicle for greater intimacy with your God. A God who wants you. He, he wants to have fellowship with you. He created you for that Reason, not because he needed you to serve him or do anything for him, but because he wanted fellowship with you. I've been reading a book which has been really helpful on this issue. And the author says this He says, It's not a mathematical equation, it's not anxiety plus prayer equals peace. If you want to think of it as an equation, it's anxiety plus prayer equals reliance on God. And that reliance, that trust eventually will bring peace. But the thing that it gives you immediately is the thing that you want most and the thing that God has designed you for, relationship. So as we seek Him, not just His blessings or even His healing, but as we seek Him, one of the primary ways we do that is through prayer. 
crying out to the one who knows us, who loves us, who desires us. And Paul reminds us this morning in this familiar passage that it's not a laundry list of things needed that is to be the content of our prayers. Sure, God loves our dependence upon Him. He wants your dependence upon Him, but He also wants your worship. To translate starkly what Paul says here, we could say, in nothing be anxious, in everything be thankful. And so the cultivation of intimacy through conversation includes an acknowledgement of past goodness, of present care, and of promised future blessing. You and I are naturally forgetful. We're naturally self-centered. We're good at recognizing and complaining when things don't go our way, and our prayers will camp out there if we're not careful. And so the call to bathe our prayer in thankfulness is a necessary one. Fight for peace through practicing the presence of God. So practically, what does this look like? Well, sure, we we can cry out, and the Lord invites us to cry out to Him in in those little moments, in those mundane moments, in those tiny, anxious places. Yeah, we can cry out in immediacy our need for peace to settle in and to to come and meet us. But I think taking a step back, this kind of practice, it takes unhurried, unhindered time. You, You just can't rush it. It takes intentionality. It's not just going to happen It takes two of the hardest things to come by these days. Silence and solitude. It takes reflection on His tender mercies through His Word. It's not easy in a hustle-bustle world, is it? But it's what your heart needs. If you're going to fight for peace. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 91, verse 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Dwelling in the shelter. Abiding in the shadow. That's what we need to be about. If you fight for peace in this way, thankful prayer in the context of relationship, it will create in us a sentinel of peace, right? That guards our lives. And the one that stands guard is the Lord Himself. Listen to how the letters to the Romans and to the Hebrews conclude. This is near the end of both these letters. Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, Our Lord Jesus. Peace is often linked with God's salvation. Romans 16, verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Peace in the Bible is often linked to God's victory. So you and I, we struggle with anxiety because we feel the need to or we want 
to control. And your father says, you don't need to be prepared. Remember what I've done. Remember what I promised to do. And I am with you right here, right now. And so my encouragement to you this morning is to let your anxiety drive you to the Lord. That's what he's after. God's word isn't isn't trite. God's word is not a mere platitude. It is the way of life. And Paul's not wanting to oversimplify things by saying do not be anxious, but he is giving us by way of the Holy Spirit, a pathway for us to walk in. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The stain of the mind, that's where our passage leads us next in this fight for peace. And it's the second encouragement to you this morning. And it's this. Fight for peace through pondering new affections. Fight for peace not only through practicing the presence of God, through thankful prayer, but fight for peace through pondering new affections. I have this love-hate relationship with the evening news, and I think you do as well, or at least you need to have a love-hate relationship with the evening news. You see, I like knowing what's going on in the world. I want to know what's going on in the world. I want to strive to be a responsible citizen of this country, of this planet, but hear me when I say this, a steady diet of the evening news is not healthy. It's just not. Just this past week, I flipped on the evening news. One of my kids came down, was standing next to the couch where I was sitting. The first lead story was the Buffalo shooting, 10 dead. The second story was the Taiwanese church shooting, one dead. The third story was the Korean salon shooting, And now we move on to the war in Ukraine. There was an article written not too long ago, I've mentioned it before, talking about the dangers, it's a phrase that I like to use now, the dangers of distant drama. Distant drama. And the dangers of distant drama, not just in removing our focus from our locale and what's going on right before us in our communities, before our faces, but also centering our souls and our minds unnecessarily on the broken things of our world. I've talked about this before. Authors have talked about this before. Our souls are not meant to carry the weight of the world and all the information, and all the brokenness that we can come by by way of the internet. You don't need to know about all that stuff, and you weren't meant to carry all that stuff. 
But I'm also not saying that you as a Christian, that we as Christians, that we stick our heads in the sand. Or we just close our ears like you did when you were a kid and just hope it goes away. No, I think what God's Word calls us to is to guard our hearts, to be renewed in our minds. Again, there's continuity here with what Paul says, with what his Lord, the Lord Jesus, said to his followers in Matthew 6, right? When Jesus said, don't worry, what did he say about those those who do? The Gentiles, those who aren't God's people, they run after these things. They focus on these things. And Jesus says, as a follower of me, New affections take center stage in your hearts. And so ponder new affections. And so we have this list, this thing, this list of things that Paul instructs us to ponder. It's a list that in many ways exhibits the very life of of God. These are things worthy of praise. Categories of a renewed mind. And I think Paul gives us this list simply to say this. A life of pursuing and practicing the presence of God and a mind full of these things has a hard time dwelling on circumstances that create anxiety and steal our joy. As God's people. I don't know that Paul expected the Philippians to camp out for too long on each one. They kind of create and paint a total picture. But I want to spend just a moment working our way through the list and talking about one in particular. Ponder, Paul says, ponder what is true. Right? What is true is over and against what is false, right? Those things that correspond with the certainty of God and who He is and His Word. Ponder what is true. Ponder what is honorable. Now, this is a big one. We might say what is morally excellent, right? This is substance over superficiality. Another way to say it would be this is dignity over frivolity. The first thing that popped into my mind when I thought about this word honorable and began to unpack it and think about it was the dangers of the internet and the reality of our world of smartphones and our information age. One of my favorite books on the dangers of the internet is a book called The Shallows, not written by a believer. The Shallows by Nicholas Carr. He quotes an economist and he says, when access to information is easy, we tend to favor the short, the sweet, and the bitty. And then Nicholas Carr goes on and he says, talking about that That whole notion of FOMO, the fear of missing out. We crave the new even when we know that the new is often more trivial than essential. As far as I know, these two guys are not believers in Jesus seeking to follow Paul's admonition to ponder upon the things that are honorable, but 
in God's grace, these guys are recognizing and warning us against the dangers of the information age that we live in. The dangers, according to them, of of not being whole. And for us as Christians, it's much bigger than that. Because peace is harder to come by when our diet consists largely of junk food rather than healthy meals. Right? Instead of waiting for that that savory meat to marinate and, and to cook, we just stuff our faces with potato chips. And that's how we fill ourselves. Instead of waiting for that cup of tea to, to brew and to get right, we just down shots for the quick hit. And Paul, through his admonition, slows us down here and says, ponder what is honorable. Be careful. Ponder what is true. Ponder what is honorable. Ponder what is just. That which conforms to God's standard. Ponder what is pure. That which is holy and free from sin. Ponder that which is lovely. This word is only used here in the New Testament. I like how one author I was reading fleshed this out. That which breathes and evokes love. Think about those kinds of things. And then finally, that which is commendable. That which is worthy to be repeated. All of these words, all of these colors, they come together to to paint a portrait of life. Of a life practicing and fighting for peace through the pondering of that which is worthy of praise. And at the end of the day, you who know and love Him know that this is a picture of Jesus. The one who knows our weakness experientially and yet who resolved to walk with the Father and in the way of His will with resolve. Brothers and sisters, God's Word this morning, it's not a quick fix, but it is the, it is the vision that has got to be at the core of our fight against anxiety and worry. Dovetailing with where we ended our discipleship hour, these are, these are habits of holiness that we're talking about. Practicing the presence of God through thankful prayer and pondering the things of God through new affections. May God give us grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the vision that we get from your word, the encouragement, the admonition, and we confess that we are products of our culture, of our time and place. We breathe air that is at times toxic for our souls. And we ask that you would, by your spirit, through your word, that you would open our eyes, that you would shine light on those habits, on those places where change needs to come, where gospel change needs to come. We're at Your mercy, for we can't change ourselves. We need Your strength. We need Your grace. We need Your Spirit. And yet we want to grow. We want to be whole. We want to walk with You, our God, in the life that You intended for us to walk. 
And so show us, search our hearts, and lead us in the way everlasting, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.